Good morning to all the time investors. This is Igli from Equity Breakdown, where you'll find short, no bullshit overviews of public companies. So as we dive deeper into the space industry, I wanted to focus on the series of SPACs that have monopolized all of our interests. Among the many that have announced going public, there are a few interesting companies that stick out. Today, we're going to break down the third largest satellite provider in the world in terms of satellites in orbit. The company is called Spire Global, ticker symbol NSH, which will eventually be SPIR. And it is planning to go public this year at an evaluation of $1.6 billion. So what is Spire Global? Spire is a space-as-a-service company that operates satellites and delivers data to predictive analytics to customers. The company collects space-based data using proprietary constellation of nano satellites. The company utilizes the power of data to deliver insights across following categories. So they deliver data off of maritime activity, global weather, aviation activity, and then also space software services. So if you think about it, anytime there's vessels traveling around the world, they have the ability to globally track and monitor them, identify high traffic zones for route optimization. Same concept with aviation, they can track and monitor almost all of the flight operations around the world. And then on top of that, they can also provide weather coverage and forecasts, and then they deploy uh, software to existing satellites. So host satellites on full integrated space, ground, and web platforms, and manufacturing of cost-effective nanosatellites. So you can see here, they're pretty comprehensive in terms of the services they offer, and they heavily uh, go for more on the analytics side. Now the market opportunity. So we all know that right now the space economy is 368 billion and eventually will grow to 1 trillion by 2040. Specifically Spire believes they can operate in three subsectors. First is the space-based data and analytics. So this involves weather, aviation, and maritime. By 2025, they expect that market to be around 52 billion. Orbital services, 39 billion by 2025 and then more importantly also weather forecasts uh 180 billion by 2025. so the company believes they're in the position to pioneer the space as a service model and help solve some of the planet's problems and this will be one of the first time you hear this term space as a service uh, and essentially the company is marketing themselves as not only do they produce space technologies but you can consider them like a software company, hence the SaaS software as a service company. And they believe that they have, have had the opportunity to actually integrate both of those concepts together to deliver the performance and the nature of the company that they have developed today. So what are the company's strategic resources? As of January 2021, the company has 141 nanosatellites launched and covering the Earth. More specifically, they have uh, their satellites called Spire Lemur, which is low earth multi-use receivers, constellations, and ground stations. The company's in-house nanosat design and assembly costs $30,000 a month and takes about three to six months to be launch ready. So that's around $180,000 total cost. This is about 0.1% of a traditional satellite, which could cost around 180 million. So phenomenal cost structure to produce these nano nanosatellites. On top of that, they have proprietary ground station networks. So they have 30 ground stations that enhance a collection of data, provides operational resiliency and security. So far, they've conducted 550 plus software updates uh, to the fleet that they currently have in orbit. 
And on top of that, uh, the, you all, they also have the ability to collect, in this case, put in perspective, 245 million. Uh, the, it, the maritime data is called automatics identification systems to essentially track the vessels. 415 million automatic dependent surveillance broadcast uh, messages for aviation. And of course, 11,000 radio occultation profiles, which essentially is a way of collecting uh, data to understand uh, atmospheric pressures and so forth for weather. So you can see here that these small nano satellites, not only are they cost effective, but they have the capability to collect a large amount of data to service the three various uh, sectors that the company is focusing on. On top of that, uh, Aspire da data platform. So the company can cleanse, standardize, and fuse data collected from ground stations to provide predictive analytics. They claim to have 99.9% .9 system uptime. And finally, the Spire software analytics. So customers receive the refined data seamlessly through simple APIs. They receive about one terabyte of data per day per customer. So this is phenomenal in terms of the way that they've been able to not only introduce the space technology uh, to essentially collect the data. They have the ground equipment to essentially receive the data and clean and cleanse it through their platforms and then offer it in form of analytics package solution for their customers in a very simple and elegant way through their APIs. So again, a comprehensive process of the way that a company here delivers the data and at a low cost. So in terms of developing resources, Spire Global has 24 registered patents and 20 licenses to operate commercially with assets in space and in the ground. The company continues to expand its R&D from 13 million in 2018 to 21 million in 2020, representing about 75% of its revenue. So you can understand that this is a young company in terms of actually producing revenue. They've been around since 2012, but they've been uh, producing revenue more recently now in these past uh, two to three years. And uh, even in that mix, majority of that uh, revenue does go to R&D, unfortunately, or fortunately in this case to expand uh, their uh, technology. So customer landscape and partnerships. The company delivers proprietary data and insights on 150 plus product customers. Currently they have annual recurring revenue of 235,000 per customer, the net retention revenue rate of 145% and less than seven months of payback customer acquisition costs. Top customers include NASA, Ariane Supersonic, Vesselbot, uh, Aldendroff, and then the Australian Office of National Intelligence. More recently, Spire entered co collaboration agreement with Findus Venture to launch satellites for debris detection rates and climate change patterns. Now, to launch the satellites, the company partners with every single launch service company. So think of SpaceX, Rocket Lab, etc. So from a customer partnership perspective, uh, you can see here that they have a variety of diverse customers the customers actually appreciate the service, therefore the retention rate is high. And uh, in terms of their supply chain, uh, they ultimately are in charge of everything except for the launch, which they partner with uh, more of the rocket companies that are out there. Now, understanding that, we'll dive into the business model and growth strategies. So unlock 
Unlike traditional space companies, Spire Global executes a subscription-based model for its customers with monthly payments. The company has not specified the specific subscription amount of charges its customers and whether the customers pays for a specific period upfront versus a flexible month-to-month model. However, the average contract length is 21 months. So this is unique because uh, when you find companies, especially in capital-intensive environments like space, in the production of satellites, uh, they usually accept uh, contracts. And on top of that, the payments are very large upfront in order to begin the production of these uh, particular technologies and assets. On Spire's side, they've actually implemented a subscription-based model, which is very unique um, from their peers. The company can achieve a subscription model because they have ensured the cost of each satellite is 0.1% of a traditional satellite and the cost to launch is one one hundredth of a traditional launch due to the strategy of sharing payloads. So as of 2020, the company has generated the following revenue here. 28 million and they're potentially expanding to 25 uh, to 913 million by 2025 at 139% Kager. They also have a annual uh, revenue rate of 36 million, and eventually by 2025, it'll uh, expand to 1.2 billion. Gross profits are around 63% at 18 million, uh, with the opportunity to expand to 830 million at 91%, which represents 160% CAGR. Currently, they're not profitable uh, and they don't have any free cash flow, but they're expected by 2025 to achieve 47% EBITDA profit and also uh, 357 million of free cash flow, which is, represents 84% of that profit. And they're currently valued at 1.2 billion with 67% of the company in, remaining in ownership of the executives and the employees post-merger. So you can see here that they have some revenue, which is unique relative to some of the SPACs out there. And on top of that, they are also expanding uh, the ability to become profitable and achieve free cash flow. Now, the company does plan to accelerate growth through the following initiatives. Of course, through the merger that's happening with Navsite Holdings, they'll be fueled with 408 million in cash to continue market share expansion in the commercial satellite and analytics space. Uh, they want to continue to expand markets specifically through the use of investing in product sales and marketing teams to equip sale operations. So they want to fuel uh, that internal sales cycle. And then the geographic expansion, they want to focus their resources to increase presence in Latin America and the Middle East, uh, specifically the Middle East. They have a lot of resources and they are also very ambitious when it comes to uh, space uh, advancements. And then you have acquisitions. So they want to acquire third-party data providers to enrich a library of data collected. So while the company does collect data uh, from their own satellites, they realize that the ability to package uh, the data with other third-party providers to enrich the insights is very important. So they will be aiming at that. So watch out for some of those. And then on top of that, proprietary data set development. So the company wants to significantly expand their DoD and Intel community footprint. And by doing this, the more proprietary data that they uh, designed through their models and based off the data they collect, uh, the more valuable they will be uh, for specific use cases, in in this case, military intelligence. Now, in order to achieve this, the company does have a series of strategic modes, and it boils down to the top three, technology, vertical integration, and scale. 
So the company has built satellites that are cost-effective, high-quality, uh, rapidly produced, and with the ability to deliver proprietary data. The company has then closed the circle to provide predict predictive analytics to the end customer. The company can deliver 20 satellites into orbit for global coverage in under 12 months at a cost of $12 million. So again, that is phenomenal in an industry that is very capital intensive and time sensitive. Now from a vertical integration perspective, the company designs 95% of the components of its satellites and produces 100% in-house. They also control the ground equipment and its entire data analytics platform solutions. The entire supply chain, except for the launch into space, is controlled. So you can see here that from the production and the design of the satellite, all the way to actually delivering the data uh, to the end customer, the company controls the entire cycle with the exception of the launch, which is phenomenal. That's the type of company I'd like to see. On top of that, uh, you have scale. So Spire can produce 10x the number of satellites than the next largest manufacturer. Satellites can be completed within three to six months, and the company aims to launch at least 20 plus a year. The company owns 5% of Earth's orbit based on the number of satellites. So talk about performance right there. You are talking about you know, really hitting that scale uh, of making sure you dominate uh, or you're one of the largest players when it comes to the Earth orbit. And the fact that they own 5% of the Earth's orbit due to the uh, fast production of the satellites that they can crank through, it gives them a competitive advantage when collecting data. Now, there are some risks here. Uh, first one comes from competition. So while the, comp the company has been around since 2012, there are larger competitors armed with more capital. You also have to think about SpaceX and Planet Labs, which are private competitors who have a higher share of the orbital space. It is inevit inevitable that the company's high margins and low-cost assets will attract competition in the space. So you have to think about it. Of course, you're going to have players who are going to have more money uh, who could have been established even far longer and have deeper roots and connections with the U.S. government and the military connections. Remember, the U.S. government plays a heavy role in the space economy. On top of that, uh, the private uh, competitors like SpaceX and Planet Labs not only are they launching, but SpaceX, for example, controls, um, not only do they have the nano satellites, but SpaceX also controls uh, the launch of those satellites. So they're able, they have full uh, control of the supply chain uh, across the spectrum to ensure that they maintain market share uh, in terms of the low orb orbit uh, satellite space. And they, in fact, do with 22% market share there. And you have to take this into consideration. Anytime there are low costs, so low cost of entry in this case, so the barrier of entry is low, maybe not from the technology side, but from the cost side, and there's attractive high margins, you will have competitors coming in uh, because it's a space that they can operate in uh, and they will have the money to at least uh, place a challenge. The other component here is product waste. So while the industry is young, the Earth's orbit is about to be congested with 23,000 satellites by 2040. So these satellites will surely create space junk that will require maintenance and costs. Companies will be held responsible to manage the waste, thus incurring unforeseen costs and profit reduction. Currently, 60% of the satellites today in space are considered space junk. So you can see here that Nanosatellites right now are very attractive because it's new technology and uh, the capability to uh, collect data and uh, at a low cost is very appealing. But I can assure you as global uh, 
climate change comes into perspective, uh, as well as the industry uh, gains even more traction and congestion happens in the low orbit uh, of Earth, you will have uh, specific regulations come through that could change uh, the profit and cost structure that the company is used to having. So be aware of that. Then on top of that, the subscription model. So customer churn can certainly accelerate as satellite providers compete on price. With more low-cost satellites entering the market, the company must be able to adapt to customers' dynamic needs and ensure competitive value propositions. So while subscription models are unique and you get the recurring revenue, you have they also are very vulnerable in terms of when you know when a company signs a long-term contract with you, it's very hard to break. A lot of capital is already put in place, and essentially they tied their fate with that unless something really uh, negative derails that contract. In subscription models, hey, after 12, 20 months. Now I know that average contract here is 21, 21 months. Company can say, hey, I'm just going to go to somebody else here who kind of offers the same thing you do, but at a better price. So those are the risks there. Now let's dive into the team DNA and vision. So the top three, I would call them uh, leaders there are Peter Platzer, CEO and co-founder, Joran Caport, CTO and co-founder, and Joel Spark, VP Space Systems and co-founder. So all these three individuals essentially uh, brought up Aspire uh, Global in 2012. Uh, Pete was a senior portfolio manager for Vagasul Capital, trading commodities and global futures. He also led quant teams for Deutsche Bank and uh, Rohatan Group. Um, from a space perspective, he has focused on space commercializations and nanosatellites where he holds a series of patents. So why he's relatively young compared to some, if you can think of, uh, and does not and lacks some of the military background uh, and uh, the U.S. government exposure that some of these more senior um, CEOs do for Lockheed Martin and so forth. You can think of uh, Pete as an individual that uh, has a lot of finance experience, understands the capital markets quite well, um, but also has strong enthusiasm when it comes to space commercial commercialization and nanosatellites. So that's an interesting combination, especially as they navigate right now uh, through the public markets. Great skill sets on both ends. Now, the CTO and co-founder, Joe Royan, he was the lead payload and avionics engineer. So he specialized in spacecraft avionics and payload design and low thrust astrodynamics in NASA. And then finally, you have Joel Spark, uh, VP Space Systems. So Joel has led the management of the Spire Space Program as lead engineer. He ultimately designed, built, and operated the company's first satellites. So you can see here that uh, each of these individuals uh, are equipped with various different experiences and a strong enthusiasm uh, when it comes to the space industry. Um, and they do have the expertise uh, since they are maintaining the third largest market share when it comes to satellites in space. Now, the company is composed of highly technical workforce amounting to 140 engineers and scientists. And rep this represents about 56% of the workforce highlighting strong domain expertise in space and satellite technology. So with all that, what are some key insights here for all the time investors? First and foremost, the massive data collected from satellites will be a competitive advantage as the space economy continues to grow. Spire Global is the third largest satellite company in terms of satellites in orbit. SpaceX leads the pack followed by Planet Labs. In this market, the winner will be the one that contains the most data to deliver the insights necessary for customers. With 100 plus satellites and five terabytes of data processed every day, Spire Global is certainly in a position to continue growth and market expansion. 
As we shift to the supply chain component, most of its supply chain, except for launch portion, isn't controlled by Spire. Thus, this is powerful because as a company continues to enhance its space infrastructure, it will see a dramatic drop in CapEx requirements. Ultimately, this allows Spire to expand and preserve SaaS-like margins. By 2025, the company is expected to hit 91% margins. And while traditional satellites are time-sensitive and capital-intensive, Spire has actually built out proprietary nano satellites that deliver quality proprietary data and are also cost-effective. This gives the company an advantage as they continue to launch around 20 satellites per year to further their mission. And ultimately, you know, Spire has been around since 2012 and supported by some well-respected investment teams, such as Bessemer Venture Partners. Uh, you also have Qualcomm and Mitsui and Company. And so far, they've attracted $100 million in capital to date. Unlike many of the SPACs, the company has a working subscription software-based business model with a 5% share of the orbital space around the Earth. And finally, it is important to note, however, that SPACs does lead the pack in the industry. As SpaceX does lead the, pa the, the pack in the industry. Other large players with growing space divisions will also be attracted to the concept of nanosatellites and high margins and expect increased competition as funding continues to accelerate in the space economy. So you can see here I highlighted a couple of key components here. Market share, they're in a strong position. Low cost uh, technology production uh, with strong IP, they're also in a strong position there. High margins, they've achieved that. And the ability to essentially control majority of their supply chain. And the fact that they've also attracted some very strong and impactful investment teams who support their mission. With all that, understand that you do have SpaceX, you do have other private companies coming into play and becoming public. And with the low barrier of entry in terms of cost and the high margins, this market will experience some level of attraction. So to all you time investors out there, I would say this is a pretty uh, interesting company. It has some strong attractive points, uh, but also uh, understand the other players that are coming around and see if they can compete in that same space. Other than that, I hope you guys enjoyed this breakdown. And if you like the content, as always, share this newsletter, share this post, follow me on Twitter and or subscribe if you have not already. Uh, and as always, stay incurably curious. And if you need any other additional information, I've highlighted some articles as well as uh, the investor presentation that the company released in March. So to that, on to the next. Have a great day.